Right, this is Jared again with Lefty's Precision Rifle Podcast. And this episode is the Match Director Inside, episode 11. I've got uh, Mike Beamer back on here, and we're going to see what he's thinking when he puts a, a match together. So thanks for coming back on, Mike. My uh, pleasure. Glad to be here. Get, get into it here. Looks like you uh, might have settled down for the year now. I think you just finished up your uh, last national match, putting that together out at Ryan's at Twin Peaks. So hopefully mm-hmm. you, you calm down a little bit so I can get you on here. And ask <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a really busy year. Um, so the wrapped up the box canyon showdown that went really well. The uh, um, for the NRL and uh, everybody seemed to really enjoy the match and uh, we had a lot of fun. Ryan did an excellent job of setting up some of the uh, side match activities and, and whatnot that we had going on uh, Friday, Saturday night and got a really cool venue for the uh, awards and all that stuff up there. We had a really good time. His range is really cool and uh, if anybody hasn't had a chance to make it out there yet you really need to go shoot at twin peaks rifle club because it's it's awesome it's a really good place to shoot yeah it was not yeah just looking around out there let alone his range just the scenery and everything else is second to none here in kansas for sure yeah for sure it's it doesn't seem like we're in kansas out there with the uh, terrain it seems like we've like there's a a section from Arizona or New Mexico or something like that. That's just kind of been transplanted into, into South, uh, South Kansas there. And it's pretty cool. Just a lot of terrain. It's, it's awesome to be able to shoot out there because he's got two, uh, basically two complete ranges with all of the, the property he has out there. And uh, we can shoot about 180 degrees different directions on, on both both sides of the range just offers a lot of variety and, and uh, makes it fun to set up a match out there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a blast. We, I talked about that with uh, Chad and Chris and Becca and Ryan about, yeah, just the stuff you guys had set up for Friday night and Saturday night. Seemed like a, like a family get together instead of a, a match with the, a bunch of strangers, which didn't even seem like they were strangers, but just cornhole tournaments and side matches and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you guys did real, did real well putting that together. I appreciate it. I listen to your guys' podcast and I really enjoy uh, hearing the feedback from, from you guys and, and your thoughts on the match, good and bad. And for the most part, I, I don't think you guys had too many complaints. Uh, I was, I loved how it ended up being 50, 50 that people, uh, uh, some like your tree stage that you are out on um ryan and chad both loved the the tree stage because of all the movement and then uh becca and chris hated it because of all the movement so it was kind of fun to hear yeah yeah, yeah that's that's kind of what all the squads they either loved it or they hated it. it wasn't any really like oh it was all right it was when they got done shooting it they either loved all the movement or they hated all the movement but that's that's what i want to get into that's what i wanted to have you on just how you think of how you think up the stages like that, but this is pretty cool. So yeah, we'll get into some of that. But first I want to start off on how many, if you can even count this high, how many one day matches do you think you've MD'd since you've been doing this? You no, know, I was, 
I was trying to think about that, and I probably could have, if I wasn't being lazy, I could have gone back and actually counted up all of them. But basically, it's been almost, it's been roughly one, about one a month during the shooting season. So probably, I don't know, I guess it's probably, we, we shoot probably, I don't know, probably 10 months out of the year for our our club match. Um Plus, you know, there's always a couple of extra matches we tend to throw in there. But um, it has basically been one a month, uh, roughly, for probably the past four years, I think. Exactly. So, something like that. I don't know. That's that's a rough number, but that's kind of my guess, is I've probably set up about 30 to 40 one-day matches. Yeah, so you, you definitely got some experience. I, I know when I – when we were shooting them out there at a Conway Lead or STC now, um, I don't think people realize, which I, I think I've got some questions on here I was going to ask you about it, but I don't think people realize when I first started, I'd show up, match was all set up, everything was painted, shoot and go home. But then I, once I started getting into it and I'm out there the night before checking zero and checking uh, dope, I'm shooting almost till dark and then you're out there waiting for everybody to get done shooting just to go out back out and paint and set everything back up. So yeah, I, you've done 30 or 40, but I can't even imagine how many hours you put in setting it up, moving targets, painting targets, putting yeah, factors on. That's kind of like, that's one of those deals where it's like thinking about how much money you've got invested in your, in, <laughs> in your, your rifle and reloading and all that stuff is better not to just, better not to add it up just take it a chunk at a time and yeah yeah that's what yeah don't don't ask your buddy how much he's got in his rifle when his wife's around or whatever you know yeah <laughs> yeah so, but yeah it's a it's a labor of love um anymore i really uh enjoy setting up matches for everybody um uh, just about as much as i enjoy shooting them and uh sometimes more i've won I've won some one day matches and stuff. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm pretty happy, but, the, but I still feel like uh, I, uh, I still feel sometimes I feel a little bit annoyed that I'm not happier with like a win. And I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking about the shots that I still missed and could have done better. And I don't, I, I don't tend to get that, uh, I tend to get, it seems like I tend to get more uh, satisfaction out of the uh, match directing and watching everybody and uh, have the, have a good time and, and seeing people smile and, and, uh, and all that at the end of the day, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty good time. I really enjoy doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So how many, how many two day matches have you MD'd? I think I, I tried counting them up, but I'm not sure if I got them all. So I've <clears throat> uh, done the, I've been the co-match director uh, for the Punisher, Punisher positional at STC uh, for three years. So that's three two-day matches there. And then this year um, added on the Southwind shootout and the box scanning showdown to my resume, I suppose you could call it. Uh, so that'd be five, be five national uh, two-day matches I've been involved with. Yeah. Three of them. Three of them coming from just this year. That, that's why I thought. I thought you'd done more this year than you'd done in the in the past. 
Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, done more this year than I had in the previous few years combined. But going into the two-day thing, it's a, it's a different kind of animal than a one-day match just because you'd think it would be uh, just the equivalent of just setting up two one-day matches. But I don't know. With the number – the volume of shooters, the volume of shots you got going downrange for a two-day match – it really tests the uh, durability of like your targets and all that stuff. And it, it's, and then on top of that, you've got all of the uh, extracurricular activities that we are tending to, to do now these days to make sure everybody enjoys their full weekend for coming up and, and shooting a match. So it was, it's, it's a, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of thought that goes into it. I couldn't tell you how many hours I spend just thinking about, um, the course of fire, I kind of tend to map everything out in my head when I'm setting it up. And, and, uh, I kind of, I try to follow certain patterns when it comes to, uh, planning the course of fire, depending on the, the range and what is best suited for that shooting range and that sort of thing. Um, I always try to get a good mix of prone shooting or, or modified prone and uh, positional shooting, that sort of thing, just to test everybody's abilities in, in multiple ways. So it, I, I think about it a ton, and then, uh, and then just starting to write down, like, bullet points for writing up a course of fire for each stage. And, you know, it just depends. It just depends on the, on the match, what my goals are for the match, and what, uh, and what works best for the range, kind of how I – how to high tend to plan things. Yeah. I, I think you, you deserve a, a big kudos because I listen to almost every precision rifle podcast there is. I hear a lot of these guys doing post-match, uh, you know, just post-match deals like I've been doing. And I hear a lot of them, which amazed me that a lot of the match directors are shooting at, which aren't anywhere around here. They're on the majority on the coast, but they're basically shooting day one, they shoot a course of fire and it's two minutes a day two. They shoot basically the same course of fire and it's a minute and a half. I don't think any of them that I've seen you do, they're nothing even similar between day one and day two. The closest I've done to that was the very first year of the Punisher, Punisher positional. Um, and uh, on day two, we, um, we, we, re, we reused some of the targets uh, but shot them from different positions and in different orders and, uh, you know, shot some different targets from, you know, from different directions and that sort of thing, but kind of just reused targets in a different order. So it wasn't the same course of fire on day two, but we did reuse some of the targets. And that was just because at the time at the range, um, Derek didn't have uh, as many targets and uh, positions for targets out there as he does now. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some places have their limitations and, and they're, and they kind of have to do that depending on, on the range. And, uh, but like from my point of view, um, as match director, I try to want to make sure people are getting some variety and they're not just kind of repeating the same thing on, uh, on day two. It's yeah, as, as they did on day one, which just was a shorter time like this. You know, depending on where you're at, that might be all right. Um, it's just, uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I've had the pleasure of working with these, uh, these shooting ranges that I, that I've worked with for the national matches and, uh, they've had plenty of targets and plenty of stuff to shoot at plenty of different directions and positions we could shoot from that haven't had to, haven't had to do that. So I like to be able to offer more variety uh, to the shooters and actually get them to, you know, get more for their money that way, in my opinion, to, to not have to, you know, shoot the same stage twice if it, right. if I can. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people mentioned when I was ROing over the weekend, I think Chad or Chris or Ryan or Becca might've mentioned it, but like Ryan, he's got a lot of uh, animal targets. I heard mm-hmm. people talk about shooting turtles and hens and obviously coyotes and stuff like that. So just something like that just to change up the view even other than a square, yeah. a circle or an IPSC. Just, I, yeah. I think that brings a, a big piece to it that people don't realize or people, people don't see it until after they've done, you know, one of the matches where they're shooting the same course of fire back to back that just something different. Right. Yeah. The animal targets are fun. Uh, the, the ones uh, Ryan's got a ton of them. And it, the fun thing about animal targets is, uh, you know, like for me, when I shoot an animal target in a match, I think part of the challenge of it is like kind of knowing where to aim on the target and trying to figure out where to aim on the target to have the, uh, the best chance of getting an impact on it. And I, I kind of like that, uh, that little, that little mix up of, of it's just a little extra layer. You know, a lot of times the animal targets end up being bigger, uh, like on a coyote for, instance they tend to be really big on on your wind but not so much uh on the up and down and uh it's just kind of all the different shapes and whatnot of of some of the stuff out there it's just it's it's fun to to kind of make people have to think about where they get where where on the target they're going to aim you know whereas if you're just if you're shooting at a uh a a circle or square or a diamond or whatever you know you're basically trying to put the bullet in the middle of the target. But on the animals, it's kind of interesting because it's like, where exactly is the middle of the target? You know, so it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I like that. I like that aspect of it just to make things interesting. And then of course, for a lot of the shooters um, we have doing this stuff for all hunters. So I think it's good, uh, good practice for to, to be able to, um, aim at the same sort of shapes that they might encounter um, if they're out on a hunt somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes definitely makes it fun. So, uh, let's see. So, what are your what are your differences? You kind of talked about it. Obviously, it's not like setting up a two one day matches, but what are you thinking when you're setting up a national match compared to a club match? Other than a one or two day difference. Well, I always want. Uh, I always want the stages to be practical in nature somehow or another. Um, like, w- would this would this shot at this target happen in the real world? And you know, there's it, you know that this the sports you know a game compared to real life. So, but I kind of try to think of each shot and for each. Uh, for each, for each stage to be kind of a recreation of what if I had to 
get into a position, whatever it may be, prone, off a barricade, tree, whatever it is, and had to shoot this target, you know, for the most part in the real world, you should only have to hopefully take one shot at a target. Um, but I kind of, I, I try to, I want, I want them all to be practical. And that's kind of why I don't tend to uh, put a lot of uh, like standing, kneeling, uh, you know, unsupported stuff in my matches, just because I think that if you were to, find yourself needing to take that shot, especially with a scoped precision rifle in the real world. I don't think uh, that would be the absolute last resort. You would, you would want to find a way to support the rifle. So you're not swinging the swinging around wildly trying to basically get lucky and, and take a shot, you know, um, so that's something that just doesn't seem to be, very uh very practical and realistic with the rifles that we're using nowadays for these competitions um and i think that if you were if you're in the field hunting you would find a way to to support the rifle one way or another um to take a shot on an animal just so you can make a clean shot i don't i don't i'm not a very experienced hunter but i wouldn't i wouldn't take a take a shot at an animal if I was wobbling around moving moving all over the place so I don't tend to put those those things in matches and all it tends to do is just to piss everybody off and there's, <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a select number of shooters that are good at those shots but uh, um, anyway uh, as far as like a one day versus two day um As far as like a stage design thing, I don't, I wouldn't change a whole lot. It's just more of it and trying to not be repetitive and have people shooting the same, same type of stage over and over again, you know, um, for, you know, for 20 stages, that sort of thing. Oh, try to make each, uh, each stage uh, unique in its own way with the problems that it presents to the shooter. And, uh, like I said, not, um, not get repetitive on, on things too much. Um, and then, um, you know, with the two day match, the registration and getting everybody squatted and all that stuff is a lot more of a challenge. It takes a lot more management than a, than a one day match tends to, um, the, uh, you know, with the, two-day matches you've got uh you know trying to put together prize tables for people and and um and uh meals get ro's and uh just all that stuff and it's it takes a lot a lot of planning to make it all happen and it, and, and, and i don't do it all by myself i don't want to make it sound like i'm a one-man show here you know i've worked with uh with good co-match directors and range runners that, uh, that help with, with a lot of this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I think I've, I've found a, a good group of guys here in Kansas that to set up matches with that, um, that help, help make it a lot easier to turn out a good product for, for the shooter that comes and signs up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, well, just RO and, 
these last couple matches, I don't, I don't know how someone would, would do it all on their own. Like if you'd match direct and setting up food, like you're talking about, I don't, I know Derek and his whole family helped out with the Punisher and Ryan was obviously helping out a ton. I don't know how a single person would do it on their own. Yeah, it'd be tough. It would be, uh, it's, it, it I, I don't, I don't think really many, uh, many of the national level matches. I don't, I don't, I don't suspect there's very many of them that are, you know, done by, by one person. Everybody's got a, a team to kind of lean on and help support. We had some really good guys to come out and help uh, with uh, the box game showdown um, that, you know, some of Ryan's friends that came out and helped us set targets and that sort of thing. And um, um, Kyle Jones was, was one of them. He was uh, one of our ROs. I think he, he was on uh, stage eight and stage 18. And uh, he helped a ton with the match setup and, uh, you know, having those, those people to help, help get things, get everything done and keep it, keep it all organized is, is key. Yeah. So how uh, this almost more club match, but how do you balance new shooters having a good time, wanting to come back at a match and keeping advanced shooters interested and have them keep coming back to your matches how do you mix that well um kind of my goal when i set up a stage is is i tend to make it where i can get newer shooters to get shots on target and then as the stage goes on it progressively gets more difficult to to hit each target so i tend to try to approach the stage you know it helps that i'm a i'm a shooter i uh i shoot a lot of matches at uh, other ranges as much as i can and um i try to make each stage where it's hard to clean to get all of the points possible for the stage so that way that the top shooters are still being challenged to get all the points but the uh newer shooters are going to be able to hit some of the easier shots and uh and still earn points and have a good time because hitting dirt usually isn't fun if i'm gonna go through the trouble of hanging a target up out in the field um i want people to be able to hit it i don't try to i don't usually approach it with the mindset of oh let's see if they can hit this you know maybe for maybe for the last shot possible but i don't want everybody i don't want people to be coming off the stages with zeros um you know it happens of course some people you know if you if you don't have your stuff together at all then uh, then you know you might end up with a zero but i try to kind of start you know the first couple of shots or first three or four shots maybe of a stage might be a little bit easier and then it just progressively gets harder either with distance target size or uh or multiple positions on the stage you know but i want everybody to be able to be able to get some shots on on the targets um and, and it's a tricky balance to to challenge the hardest shooters and or the, the best shooters and uh um but still have people hitting targets and having a good time um but some of the i i try to look back at the scores that I have from a match and look at each stage and, and see the balance of the, the 
the scores on everything. I'd like to see where every stage can be cleaned by at least a, you know, a couple handful of people. And then, uh, and then just look down, down the, the list of the scores and see how the separation is from all the shooters. And, and I just use that to um, kind of gauge how difficult or how easy a stage was um, and, uh, and make adjustments for the future. You know, it's just been, I've just kind of tried to refine it over all of the matches I've, I've helped set up. And I, don't want, I don't want stages to be too easy. I don't want stages to be too hard and just, just try to balance it because that's what um, keeps people coming back and having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've done the – shot the Pro-Am a couple times now for KPRC out there at uh, Severance. And, yeah, it seems like you do good because we get, what, 60 to 80 shooters, I think, each time you do the Pro-Am. And, obviously, that's got some of the top KPRC guys and you got people that haven't ever shot a match coming out. So, And then they keep on coming. I keep seeing them every other match that we go to. So. Whatever yeah. you do, whatever you do to figure that thing out, I think you've got it figured out. Is it keeps them coming? It kept me coming back, and it keeps all these others coming back. So, yeah, a good way to do it is to just, you know, you can have a big target and a small target. You know, have like a, if you're shooting a positional stage, a really easy way to uh, separate uh, the the best shooters from the from the average shooters. You know, just having a big target and a small target or, uh, you know, a, a close distance and a far distance. And, you know, hopefully your average or newer shooters can hit that, that bigger target, get some points. And then, uh, and then the, the more talented and experienced shooters will hit the, hit the harder targets and, and earn their points to stay ahead of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> now I've got somewhat of a standardization question, like, you do a PRS national match, obviously you have certain timed stages that they tell you to choose from and it, that's standardized. Do you think any sort of other standardization would be helpful? Like, as it, so not to keep certain ranges, so not even distance, but like half the stages have to have a two MOA target at whatever distance. Do you think that would be helpful? Or is that going to be more of a hindrance for a match director trying to set something up? I hear these other podcasts, I hear about meatball matches and that was too easy or that was too hard or something like that. Do you think any of that would help out if NRL or PRS put something like that in their rules? Um, maybe. I. It would be tough to, um, to kind of regulate the kind of match um, – the match director can set up because all these ranges are so different from one another. Um, I think maybe guidelines would help. So you don't have the, uh, the meatball stuff being, you know, too easy on, on certain stages or, or, you know, at the same time, you don't want it to be too difficult and people uh, uh, can't hit anything. Um, it wouldn't hurt to have maybe if they put out a guideline, but I don't think that's something they could actually uh, strictly enforce uh, that the, uh, the uh, uh, match directors kind of follow by. 
but uh, like at the at Box Canyon, we uh, I tend to, uh, but most of the targets I put up were about roughly two MOA in size, in one way or another. You know, like like I said, the animal targets can be really long on the wind, but on the up and down, they might have been about two about two MOA. And uh, you know, if you get down to like the one MOA stuff. Um, people have a really hard time hitting those targets in, uh, in match conditions, um, under a time limit and all that, the, um, you know, the, the weather and the wind and all that stuff plays a huge role on how, how, um, many, uh, points people are going to get and how many hits they're going to get. It's hard to, to narrow it down to exactly if you were to try to standardize it across the board. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the, um, it seems like two MOA is a pretty good target size for people to be able to hit. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a generous enough target that if you're, uh, not perfect on your, on your wind call or something, you can still catch an edge and, uh, and be able to center up your next shot hopefully but it's still small enough to uh to uh not be too easy for people um that's kind of a that's kind of a ballpark and like i said it depends on the it depends on how you're doing it what what you're shooting where you're shooting from all that stuff it, it can be a tricky balance um you know with the box canyon being the, the most the latest match um you know, Clay Blackader ended up uh, shooting ninety percent for the whole match. You know, he he hammered all all weekend long, and he ended up beating uh, beating second place by a pretty good margin, by thirteen points. And um, with the conditions and like all the different wind changes and all that stuff, where those guys ended up um, from second place on down is kind of where kind of the the ballpark of where I thought the top shooters would end up somewhere in like the 85% hit percentage range. Um, I think that's, I try to kind of plan for about that, but depending on the shooter and depending on the conditions you shoot in, you know, that can change pretty dramatically. Um, I think if, um, I think, um, uh, some of the other shooters um, below Clay could have uh, probably hit a few more targets on day two with a little bit longer time limits on the stages. But the wind was blowing pretty hard on day two, so that was making people miss more. Um, the conditions have a ton to do with it, um, and that sort of thing. I, 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 don't, I don't know the, the formula of how you could uh, standardize things, but maybe base it off of uh, – you know, the distance to the target and uh, whether it's a positional shot or uh, off of a barricade, it, it, maybe they could, you could come up with a guideline of some sort to, to try to keep some sort of parity on, uh, on matches. But uh, it'd, be a, it'd, be, it'd be tricky to, to, uh, to standardize it across all of the different types of shooting ranges we have across the country. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's why. That's why I figured. I think it it would be hard, but I could see where it would be useful. But I could definitely see where it might even turn some mass directors off. You start putting a bunch of guidelines on you guys that just to make it hard, or, or even maybe targets or target sizes that some ranges don't have. You know, so yeah, I could see where it could yeah. help, and I see where it hurt. Yeah, you want to. You don't want to. You know, some you want to allow these um, these different ranges and, and uh, matches to have some creativity, um, you know, so they can, so they can try to set up the best match possible, uh, for their range. And I think what helps a ton is, um, hopefully most of these match directors are going out and shooting other matches so they can kind of, uh, see what they think is fun and, um, and what sucks and, and make sure they don't recreate the stuff that, that seems to suck. You know, I try to set up matches that I try to set up matches that I would like to shoot, you know, that I, that I enjoy. And that seems to work pretty well for, um, keeping people happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you did. I know you used to do it at STC all the time. You, you'd actually shoot the stages as you set them up. Did you and Ryan do that for Twin Peaks? Did you basically shoot them that, um, we did a couple, but anymore, you know, I've got a pretty good feel for what works, um, and what won't, um, always, you know, want to make sure that I can see the targets from the different shooting positions I'm going to, uh, shoot from, you know, if I'm, if I'm not sure of something, I'll, I'll shoot it and try to adjust it from there. But anymore, I've got a pretty good feel for what works and what doesn't. Yeah. yeah and le- leave it to Clay to to throw your 85% out the window. Drop, he dropped, what, 20 in two days, something with 15, 20-mile-an-hour winds on that second day. Yeah, he's an animal. <laughs> yeah. The guy can shoot. Yeah. yeah. Once he's, when, he's, when he's in the zone, he's incredibly hard to beat. And uh, he uh, uh, he doesn't miss very often. No, yeah. just that's what I like sitting back in RO and – and yeah, just watching him like on the tree, just all the movement, and he made it. I mean, he made it look smooth, and ended up ha- having you know eight, ten seconds left by the time he was done. Like some of them guys are just doesn't look like they're going fast, but they're moving so smooth that they end up having time left, where a lot of folks were timing out. So it's just cool to watch. I think one of the things that he does, and a lot of the top level shooters do, that help them um, get through difficult stages and. And just any stage in general is they they tend to run the stage through their head um, multiple times and really make sure you visualize where all the targets are and exactly what you have to do um, shot to shot so that when you get up there and it's your turn to shoot, nothing's – you're not figuring it out on the fly. You've already kind of planned out the stage in your head and and visualized hitting each target, and I think that tends to help – make things run smoothly so that you're don't have a lot of wasted movement and time during a stage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially on that, that tree stage, they were guys were up there gaming it, picking their, picking their tent. Well, not gaming it. They're picking their tent of those 13 spots and knowing where they're going to walk around the tree or step over the tree. But yeah, they definitely had a game plan. I like to, I like to, I like to throw a few stages in uh, like that every match that kind of give you, options on how to shoot it so that way you can either kind of build your own path to success or if you don't do a good job you kind of dig your own grave 
<laughs> and that's what that's what separates the the you know the best best shooters out there and and uh, and the rest. Yeah, that, yeah, I definitely saw it on that. Like some of them on the tree stays, they were they'd sh- shoot a couple, and then you, I like how you made it to where there are enough spots that you had they had to change to a different tree or a different down limb. They couldn't just shoot them all in a row and go up and down. And some people were going all the way around the tree and it was, you know, it was burning five, six seconds. And there were some people that were just stepping right over the tree, which the first guy did it. And I was like, wow, like, damn, that was a good, that was a good idea right there. Instead of walking all the way around, people were hitting their head or hitting their, their gun on the limb. And there was one limb that was sticking out over the top. Like this guy just stepped right back over in the back and saved five or six seconds off everybody else. Obviously he'd plan that out. He wouldn't, he wasn't just running, running at the, at the stage and, and doing it there. So. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to watch those guys, but how how do you determine target sizes and sh- and shapes for each stage? Um, that just kind of depends on what I have available as far as targets and uh, the distance and all that stuff, um, and what my plan is for the stage. Like, um, you know, if I'm shooting a if I'm shooting like a troop line. You know, I'll probably try to stay, you know, in that one and a half to two MOA um, range if it's like a prone troop line, depending on how far how far away it is. Um, it just depends on 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 where the stage is and what I'm shooting from, and and how far we have to shoot um, that sort of thing. I don't have like a specific, uh, you know plan set for for everything but if it's positional you know if it's like a positional barricade stage or tree or something like that where you're just resting the rifle on the bag then usually the target's going to be in the two to three moa um range for uh depending on the distance you know probably out to about six seven hundred yards i'd run two to three moa um and then maybe I'll run a, a big and a small, that sort of thing. Uh, just it just depends. Um, it just depends on on where I'm shooting, what I'm shooting from. Yeah, yeah that's that's what I that's what I was figuring. I, that tree stage, you, if you looked at it, it's 400 yards, like a 10 inch square. So you're two two or two and a half MOA. But then you mm-hmm. start working in, in those 10 different spots. 410 inch square isn't in quite as easy as what you what you thought you know so I, f- I figured you had something to do with as much movement you might give them a bigger spot or time or or whatever yeah, yeah that that stage there um like i've been to a lot of matches where you know i i i just try to just try to strike strike a balance between uh, speed and precision um on a stage like that um like if i if i would have put up a 66 percent ipsic um that would have been 12 inches wide and 18 inches tall something like that and that probably could allow more people to clean it but uh as it was i think we ended up with maybe about five or six shooters um clean the stage and uh I think that worked out pretty well um, to to have it set up like that to where, you know, it, it was a 
it was a balance between, um, you know, taking your time, breaking a, pre- a pretty good shot on a very hittable target, 400 yards, 10 inch square. Uh, but if you were more preoccupied with, oh, I got to get all these shots off, I got to get all these positions done, and you and you break ugly shots to do it, it's going to cost you. So, you know, it's kind of one of those uh, making it to where it rewards people that are have been practicing those uh, those positional stages. And, um, but, you know, you, you couldn't get too sloppy on it and still be able to get a hit. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts? I don't, I don't know if you've done a national match, but what are your thoughts on uh, random, random squatting on the MD side and on the competitor side, if you were, if you were to shoot it? Well, I haven't, I, th- I think I've done random squatting on some club level stuff. I haven't done random squatting at a uh, two day event. Um, it can be kind of tricky because people are paying a decent amount of money to come shoot a uh, national level match when you figure in their entry fee, all their ammo, food, uh, hotel, all that stuff. And a lot of the time, people want to be able to shoot with their friends uh, to be able to have a good time. And it's I, I tend to let, let it kind of air towards that side of let people – shoot with who they want to shoot with because that's you know just make it a, a more positive experience overall for the for the shooters and it can be it can be tricky because it is a competition and a lot of the times um, you know these squads kind of work together to help each other out with their wind calls and that sort of thing and that may give that may give people an, an advantage if they're shooting in the, the so-called uh, super squads but at the same time you know I've been a part of kind of those super squads myself and uh, and I've been been part on the uh, the uh, you know where I've kind of just been ran, randomly placed with some different shooters and uh, that I may or may not know and when it comes down to it, you're the only person pulling the trigger. And it's still an individual sport. So no matter, you know, there's no corrections that are given out on the clock. Um, so I don't think it's – I don't think it breaks anything to have people want to shoot with their buddies and then talk about the wind, you know, before it's the before it's your turn to shoot, I don't think it breaks anything, and I think it allows people to shoot with the people they want to shoot with and have fun. So the ra- random squatting thing, maybe on like uh, maybe certain matches, it it might work better, but uh, I think for the most part, people want to shoot with their friends and uh, and have fun. And honestly, I don't think I don't think at any of these matches that it doesn't end up with the best shooter winning the thing however however the, the squatting is is set up I think you always end up with the best guy um, coming out at the end 
at the end with the win. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you had mentioned it. That's what I was kind of leaning towards is I think random squatting, I think you would still have the guy, you know, the Clay Blackheaders, the Justin Watts, the Derek Loves, the guys that are competing for the big time trophies. I think I think they would they would still come, but I think you'd lose, you know, what half two thirds of your folks that are just out there to shoot with their buddies, you know, shooters like me, mid pack or, or lower. I think there's a chance that you would, you would lose those participants paying 250 to 300 entry fee to shoot with someone that, and I might be wrong, but I think, I think it would hurt participation if you did random on all sort on all squads or on all competitions. Yeah. Is the way it yeah, it's, 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 we're still kind of a, a grassroots sport in with this stuff. And it's for, for most of, most everybody that comes out to these matches, it's more of a kind of a social gathering than it is a competition. You know, the, there's only a select few people that are going to come out and to any given match and, and be, going for that first place trophy for the most part people are wanting to just come out and have a good front good time with their friends and you might hurt some of that with if it was always random squatting yeah. one way that um i used i liked uh, the way that uh heat stroke did it one year and they went through the prs standings and then uh kind of paired up they basically took however many i think they had at that this particular year they had 30 uh, stages so they had 30 squads and they went down and took the top 30 shooters in the uh, PRS standings one through 30 and each one of those shooters became was sort of a you know they assigned them into a squad and then they went down the the rankings of, of all that and kind of tried to balance balance out each squad with uh, kind of the talent of for each uh, for each deal. Uh, not something I would want to do as a match director because it sounds like a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, uh, to do to do that. But it was it is interesting how they uh, they tried to um, you know kind of balance out the the squads to uh, uh, not have you know the top 10 shooters in the country all shooting together at that match. Um, but, you know, the, and it was, it was interesting, but I it still ended up where the, the best shooter won, you know, yeah. it wasn't because he got, got lucky necessarily or, or was getting his wind calls off of the, uh, off of somebody else. Um, and then, you know, for like the PRS finale, uh, I believe the way that they're going to do it is, all the squads will be uh, paired up in placement. So, like, the however you're ranked going to the PRS finale, you know, place 1 through 10 will all be in a squad. Place 11 through 20 will be all, all be in a squad. You know, so on down the list like that, I believe, is how they're going to do it for that. And that is a good way to do it because uh, – if in, in, in that situation, because you're competing against, you're competing exactly at the same time against the other shooters that you should be that close to, 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're sticking with their, their competition, really. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's see what else I got. Oh, well, you covered the one was the, the win calls during a match, which I've, I've heard pros and cons and I can see pros and cons for it. And I saw some, some squads were, were big on it. Some squads weren't. I think it was more like you're talking about the buddies that were shooting together were, we're trying to help each other out, but like you're saying, it's still the person that's pulling the trigger. And obviously, Clay come out on top with a ninety percent. I don't, I don't think you're going to mess with his win calls one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he tries to. This is from what I've seen observing uh, a guy like Clay. He tries to get as much information as possible um, before it's before it's his turn to shoot. He spends a ton of time on glass looking at at everything downrange and, and studying what he sees in the wind. He talks to the other shooters and you know, that's kind of what it um, what it takes to be on top. You have to take as much information as you can uh, and then apply it so you don't miss any shots. And that's what it does. Um, I don't have a problem with people um, talking wind um, and sharing that sort of stuff as long as it's not on the clock and you're giving corrections to the, to the shooter because wind and, and, and all that stuff is not, never constant. So you, you might get lucky in, on, in some situations and the wind stay steady, uh, but it can easily, it can easily change on you shot to shot. It happens to all of us. You, you miss a shot off one side, make a correction and miss it off the other side. You know, that stuff can happen and being tuned in to all the conditions when it's, when you're shooting is, is all you can do. And that's what kind of separates it. And nobody else is pulling the trigger for you. So yeah. it, it, come, it comes down to what you're doing behind the gun. Yeah. And I, well, and I think, you know, there is a setup, there's a setup for that, you know, the AG cup, obviously they aren't sharing wind call. So people that are going to shoot that and that's kind of where that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has, it has its place. And, you know, I like, uh, I've shot a, a blind match up at Ringneck Ranch where they, everything was completely individual. I had a ton of fun and loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, that all has its place, but it, it's, it's tricky to set up if you were wanting to do it, uh, to do blind stages or anything like that or unknown distances. Cause that, you know, everybody's got a cell phone and if you've got cell phone service where the match is, people <laughs> can kind of text their buddies and say, Hey, you know, here, here are the distances or here's what I call. So it's, it's, it's tricky to, uh, to kind of, uh, to do something like that, to make it a totally individual, you know, uh, effort. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, there's some situations where you can do that, but if you have a hundred, if you've got a hundred or so shooters out on the range, it's really tough to, to keep the match moving and, uh, keep people where they can't talk to their buddies before or after they're, they're shooting to, to make it a totally individual effort, you know, but there are, there are other matches out there in other situations where, where that can happen. But yeah, yeah. For a lot, for a, a lot of the time, you, you, it's you got to keep 
people together shooting as a squad to kind of keep things moving and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 That was my, my main point is once you start getting that, you got, you start involving more people and start giving the MDs more work. Well, then obviously the cost is going to go up. I would, I would think the cost is going to go up by the time you start making more people and taking more time. So yeah, then you got your balance between what's too expensive of a entry fee and, and what people are charging. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like you've got some of the other, these other uh, matches like steel safari where you have to find and identify your targets um, and range them and engage them, all that stuff on the clock. Um, and all that's great, but it's just not something you can do um, in every situation for uh, every, every range that's out there. Yeah. So that's, that's really all my questions. I, I still have some of this uh, pay it forward to do, but anything that we didn't cover that you want people to, to know or realize as a match director? Um, well, I mean, it just, I, I just want to thank everybody that comes out and, and uh, shoots the matches that I have helped to uh, be a part of. Um, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun to to set up these matches and have people come out and enjoy it. Uh, it's a lot of work, and uh, people don't some some people not realize how much time and effort goes into it um, if they haven't had a chance to to be a part of setting up a match. Um, and uh, but just you know, come out, have fun. Be respectful to, you know, your fellow shooters and your ROs and uh, help each other out and have fun. Make it a, and, you know, don't take it too serious if you, if you can manage. Um, and just come out and shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun. I hear everybody, you know, we almost, well, I know every squad did. Well, I would say every shooter, but every squad, I think Ava, my daughter and I for RO and, and stuff like that. Well, then I get to, I get to put in this outline together to ask you questions like, damn, I wonder if anybody's thanking Ryan or Ryan or, or Mike for putting this oh, together. Yeah. Is, I mean, RO and one thing, but man, after seeing all the work that, that you've done to put these one day and two match, two day matches together, I don't know if I'd ever sign myself up for that. <laughs> no, it, it, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't do it for the recognition or anything, but uh, no, we, we, we had plenty of people that were thanking us for a good time and, uh, yeah, no, I don't don't feel like I was, uh, uh, you know, scorned or anything from people not uh, uh, appreciating appreciating uh, the work that Ryan and I did for the match. Uh, no, it's uh, you know, I'm not not doing it for recognition. I do it for everybody else to come out and have a have a fun time and enjoy a good match. Yeah, I do. I, I you know. Yeah, you know, this past one at Box Canyon had a few, you know, really experienced shooters tell me that it was one of their favorite matches they ever shot, and that, that feels that feels good. But uh, you know, and I want everybody to come out and and have as the best experience that they can. Um, but you know, if I was trying to get famous or recognition off of off of this thing, this sort of stuff, I, I think I'm in the wrong 
<laughs> I'm in the wrong lane. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to say, if you're trying to get famous, yeah, this probably isn't the route, route to do it, or at least if you're trying to get rich quick or anything like that, I don't think mass directing is your way to, your way to go, from what I can tell. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a labor of love, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you want to hang on here with me, we'll go ahead and do In fact, well, I'll tell the story about the one pay it forward that you put put up and the other one that you put up, if you want to hang on here sure. with me. Sure. Yeah. All right. So for the first, so my first pay it forward, I put up that spot and scope and then, and then Mike surprised me with the binos spot and scope still hadn't been, been claimed. So I'm going to actually draw again, but I want to tell uh, Joseph Lyles, he, he won the Viper binos that Mike had put up um, after our second go around. He messaged me that night that I posted this. I think I've shared this with Beamer, but he, he hit me up on messenger saying that he had just got home from the hospital. His, his wife had just give birth to their first boy. So I, I imagine he has some, some other kids, some daughters, and he was, he was around the house, just happened to listen because it was a short podcast said he was stoked, um, hit me up. So of course I was, I was happy just to hear that he was listening to the podcast and he had a, his first born born boy. So that was exciting. Uh, and then he goes on to tell me that he's been using a 30 year old pair of Tasco binos for the last 20 years. So that just tells me that obviously he's getting an upgrade. So thanks for that, Mike. And he, he told me thanks on here to, to let you know. My pleasure. And then, and then if he's using 30 year old binos for the last 20 years, I, his son that he just had might even be using these Vipers come 20 years from now. He obviously taking care of his stuff. So that was one of my reasons for doing this pay it forward was, was this exact reason. Try to get, get gear in the hands of guys that, that need it or want it or can't afford it or whatever. But this one, this one right here made me, made me feel good. Just, just having his boy listening to podcasts, getting, getting some binos that he, they said he'd been putting money away for and just something else had come up. Obviously a newborn comes up and that's going to take away from your play money. I know how that works. So it was yeah, just cool. Really cool. That worked that's out really for, good. yeah, it worked out for Joseph. So, um, probably hear me doing some clicking here. I'm going to get around. So I'm going to draw again for the spot and scope. See if we can't, can't get this thing gone. So had 20 entries for the spot and scope. So I got my random, Number generator here, one to 20, and we've got number two. Number two is David Barton. So actually, David Barton, I hope he's listening. I hope you're listening to Dave. He's, he's one of my old buddies that I was actually stationed with in Alaska, shit, like eight, eight years ago now. So hopefully he's listening. Listen to Dave, hit me up if you want this thing. Otherwise, we'll do another week. So he'll have... Dave, you got the week of 14th to the 18th. So I'll probably record another episode between the 16th to the 18th. Hit me up on here and uh, I'll get the spot and scope out to you. And then we've got the big one. So this is the Zermad Arms Origin 50% off uh, certificate that Mike you put up again. We, we told that story. I have 50 entries on this one. Wow. This one definitely excited some folks. So thanks again, Mike, definitely hooking, hooking some people. I wish I could get in on this one because it's, well, it's probably the last thing I need is, is an action to build another gun, but I would definitely, I would definitely enjoy that. So, all right. So what's that? I said, it definitely don't hurt that. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? So I got one to 50 on my random number generator, and we've got number 10. I'll look and see who that is here. Number 10. I actually know this guy, Robert Segara. Segara. Oh, man. Yeah, Robert was an RO. He's he's pretty that cool. Guy that guy won all sorts of stuff uh, uh, as an RO this past weekend. I know. Of, of course. Cool. Yeah, you see him with the uh, B&T throwing the darts. He couldn't – well, he could have, but barely could have centered that thing up to, to win a B&T uh, bipod. And then, yeah, he ended up getting a cert for an RO. Or, no, he got, I think, the MB, MDT stock or something like that. Yeah, I, I, he uh, so Robert won, like you said, the BNT Industries Accu Shot Challenge when we they set up a, a, a dart throwing competition, and he just about center punched it. Uh, and from what I hear, it was basically center punched it by accident because <laughs> his his other two darts uh, weren't even close to the board, but the one that actually landed just center punched the card. So he won the. BNT Industries Accu Shot Challenge, and then uh, we did a random number generator uh, to get the, the a, a list of the uh, the stages that the ROs were on to kind of select when the ROs got to walk the prize table. And he was the first one to win the uh, uh, the first first walk on the prize table. And it, it picked up a MDT uh, XRS chassis off the prize table, and now he's got a fifty percent off action. So yeah, he's about so he's got just, his gun built. He's just about got his gun built. That's pretty awesome. And Robert's a super good guy. He did a really, really good job. Uh, our own for uh, Ryan and I. And uh, man, <laughs> apparently he's uh, done done whatever he needs to do. He passed on those. Those he made he he made sure to forward tag ten friends on Facebook for whatever chain <laughs> post yeah, was going on or something because he's got a got a little bit of a lucky rabbit foot going right now. Yeah. So so Robert, I know he's he's told me he's listening. So hopefully he's listening this week. But Robert, you got a week. Uh, I'll, I'll record another episode between the sixteenth and eighteenth again. So hit me up and I'll get that out. To you, if not, then we'll keep on drawing. But I don't think that one's going to be around for long. But Mike, thanks for both of those—the binos and this this cert. That was awesome. I think people are enjoying. People are definitely enjoying it. So I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you helping out with this. Really helping a lot of folks out. Man, I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, thank you for having me on the podcast and help trying to spread the word about. Um, precision rifle shooting and um you know i appreciate it so thank you for for doing this and uh and having me on all right mike i appreciate it all right talk to you later